Welcome to the Adams Road Podcast, an outreach of the Christian music ministry Adams Road. Every week we examine a chapter from the Bible and share music filled with God's Word. You can find our weekly content by searching Adams Road Podcast on your podcast app. Let's start today by listening through Acts chapter 7, verses 22 through 50. Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was mighty in his words and works. But when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. Seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him who was oppressed, striking the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers understood that God, by his hand, was giving them deliverance, but they didn't understand. The day following, he appeared to them as they fought and urged them to be at peace again, saying, Sirs, you are brothers. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me, as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Moses fled at this saying and became a stranger in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. When forty years were fulfilled, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight. As he came close to see, a voice of the Lord came to him, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses trembled and dared not look. The Lord said to him, Take your sandals off of your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people that is in Egypt and have heard their groaning. I have come down to deliver them. Now come. I will send you into Egypt. This Moses, whom they refused, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? God has sent him as both a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, having worked wonders and signs in Egypt, in the Red Sea, and in the wilderness for forty years. This is that Moses, who said to the children of Israel, the Lord our God will raise up a prophet for you from among your brothers, like me. This is he who was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel that spoke to him on Mount Sinai, and with our fathers, who received living revelations to give to us, to whom our fathers wouldn't be obedient, but rejected him, and turned back in their hearts to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make us gods that will go before us. For as for this Moses, who led us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. They made a calf in those days and brought a sacrifice to the idol and rejoiced in the work of their hands. But God turned and gave them up to serve the army of the sky. As it is written in the book of the prophets, did you offer to me slain animals and sacrifices 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tabernacle of Moloch the star of your god Refin, the figures which you made to worship. I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of the testimony in the wilderness, even as he who spoke to Moses 
commanded him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which also our fathers in their turn brought in with Joshua when they entered into the possession of the nations, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers to the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God to find a habitation for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth a footstool for my feet. What kind of house will you build me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Didn't my hand make all these things? All right, let's continue reading from Stephen's defense to consider in what other ways Moses is a type for Jesus and how this might relate to the council before whom Stephen spoke. Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was mighty in his words and works. But when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. Seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him who was oppressed, striking the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers understood that God, by his hand, was giving them deliverance. But they didn't understand. Moses left his royal seat to visit his brothers, seeking their deliverance, but they rejected him. Jesus came down from his royal position in heaven only to be hated and rejected by his own people, especially hated and rejected by the leaders of Israel, the very men before whom Stephen spoke. Moving on, the day following, he appeared to them as they fought and urged them to be at peace, saying, Sirs, your brothers, why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me, as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Just as the Israelites didn't want Moses to be their ruler or judge, these Jewish authorities despised Jesus and despised the thought of him ruling over them. Verse 29, Moses fled at this saying and became a stranger in the land of Midian where he became the father of two sons. When 40 years were fulfilled, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight. As he came close to see, a voice of the Lord came to him. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses trembled and dared not look. The Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moses encountered the God of Israel. He was in his very presence. This was before there was a temple. He connected with God outside of religious tradition and ritual. Stephen is once again demonstrating here that God's glory is not confined to the temple. He'll revisit this idea more strongly in a bit. Let's keep reading. I have surely seen the affliction of my people that's in Egypt and have heard their groaning. I have come down to deliver them. Now come, and I'll send you into Egypt. This Moses whom they refused, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? God has sent him as both a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. 
This man led them out, having worked wonders and signs in Egypt, in the Red Sea, and in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses' first appearance was met with a rejection by his own people, and at his second they received him and salvation at his hand. Jesus' appearance among his people was also met with rejection, but even after rejecting him, they and we are invited to turn to him for salvation. Stephen's defense actually offers a message of hope for the Sanhedrin and us. Just as Israel initially rejected Jesus, they could still turn to him. And to take this further, prophecy seems to indicate that although the Israelite nation as a whole rejected Jesus at his first coming, they will receive him at his second. Isaiah 53 indicates they will someday say, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And so hopefully they'll believe, right? Now the Apostle Paul in Romans 11 uses language of Israel being cut off from the olive tree or from Christ and the Gentiles grafted in but a day coming when Israel may be grafted back in. He says, And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, for God has the power to graft them in again. All right, so back to Stephen's defense in Acts 7. I wonder when the council, listening to this defense unfold, began connecting the dots. Did they know where Stephen was going with all of this by this time? If not, they were going to get a clear picture very soon. In verse 37 here, Stephen is going to really begin bringing this all together. This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, the Lord our God will raise up a prophet for you from among your brothers like me. And Stephen's quoting here from Deuteronomy 18:15. The full verse includes, and you shall listen to him. Stephen is really beginning to hover over the target now. Jesus was a rock of offense for these Jewish authorities, and no doubt quoting scriptures dealing with Jesus would really begin to aggravate their consciences. Moses mentioned God would raise up a prophet like himself. They were commanded to listen to him. And we know this man is Jesus. All right, moving on. Speaking of Moses, Stephen says, this is he who was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel that spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, who received living revelations to give to us, to whom our fathers wouldn't be obedient, but rejected him and turned back in their hearts to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make us gods that will go before us. For as for this Moses, who led us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him, they made a calf in those days and brought a sacrifice to the idol and rejoiced in the work of their hands. But God turned and gave them up to serve the army of the sky, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you offer to me slain animals and sacrifices forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tabernacle of Molech, the star of your god Rephan, the figures which you made to worship. I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Stephen emphasizes the fact that their fathers were disobedient to God's law that was given through Moses. 
They rejected the law. They rejected Moses. They rejected God himself for an idol, a golden calf. There's again an implied parallel application regarding those before whom Stephen testified. The very ones accusing Stephen of blaspheming Moses, God, the law, and the temple were actually the ones guilty of those same accusations. Just as Israel rejected God and his law given through Moses for a golden calf, the council of the Sanhedrin had rejected Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the new covenant as a whole, for their own idols. They had made a false god out of their man-made religious system and customs. They had overemphasized the significance of Herod's temple of stones made with hands at the cost of rejecting Jesus and his invitation to make his home in them by his spirit. Moving on. Our fathers had the tabernacle of the testimony in the wilderness, even as he who spoke to Moses commanded him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which also our fathers, in their turn, brought in with Joshua when they entered into the possession of the nations, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers, to the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a habitation for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth a footstool for my feet. What kind of house will you build me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Didn't my hand make all these things? God actually never instructed Israel to build him a temple. The simplicity of the tent of meeting was all God required, but David requested to build God a magnificent house, and his son Solomon was permitted to do so. But Jesus was offering them something so much better than a temple made with hands. He wanted to make his home in them. His presence didn't just exist in the ark of the temple. God can't be contained to a house made with hands. His glory and presence can be known and experienced within us. We who believe in Jesus have his spirit abiding in us. We are the temple of the living God. We can experience firsthand what the old covenant tabernacle was typifying. Christ crucified and resurrected, living inside his people by his spirit. By faith in Jesus, his blood could purify their hearts and conscience from the dead works of old law ritual for a new and better life of service to God in the power and presence of His Holy Spirit, in relationship with our God, Savior, and Creator, Jesus. But these Jewish authorities had made an idol out of their religion, the very things that typified Jesus and were supposed to prepare them for their coming Messiah had become a stumbling block. Notice how Stephen purposely describes the Herodian temple as a structure made with hands in verse 48. I think maybe he does this to compare the Herodian temple with ancient Israel's golden calf, which he had recently referenced in his defense in verse 41. Remember he said regarding Israel, They made a calf in those days and brought a sacrifice to the idol and rejoiced in the work of their hands. The connection being that the Sanhedrin's quote-unquote golden calf, also made with hands, was their temple. And I too, like those unbelieving Jews, had made an idol of religion at the cost of relationship with Jesus. My former religion taught me that I needed to go into their temples in order to truly experience God and His presence. I centered my entire life around being worthy to enter those temples 
to try and experience God in a special way that was supposedly only available in those temples. But what I learned when I read the Bible was this very thing Stephen said. The Most High doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. The Apostle Paul says the very same thing in Acts 17.24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made with human hands. Unconverted Pharisee Paul, who was present at Stephen's speech, must have been paying attention. Sounds like Stephen's message eventually soaked in and rubbed off in the ministry of Paul the Apostle. I learned in Scripture that worship wasn't about a place, but about the heart. Jesus said in John 4, 21-24 to a Samaritan woman, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And Matthew 15, 8 is a sober reminder that it's the heart that matters. Jesus said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. I never encountered God in those religious temples. I experienced his presence most significantly for the first time in the privacy of my bedroom, actually, as a young man when I received salvation through faith in Jesus. Romans 10, 8-9 promises, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. When I came to truly believe in Jesus from my heart, I encountered his presence, and he came and made his home in me. Here's the Apostle Paul's wish for us. According to Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, he desires that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Have you ever experienced the presence of God inside of you? Has He made His home in you? God doesn't care to dwell in temples made with hands. He wants to live inside of you. He wants to be in relationship with you. Jesus invites in Revelation 3 verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus also said in John 14, 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Come to Jesus and experience him firsthand. Spent my days following what I thought were your ways, but they weren't. They were someone else's things I've heard all my life. 
turned out differently than how the world really is. And I felt so scared, terrified to change till the first time I saw your into the light I once thought that I had to earn your love before you could ever love me I was taught that all the works I did would save me That was Stone Temples from the Adams Road album, Adams Road.
This is the Adams Road Podcast, an outreach of the Christian music ministry Adams Road. You can learn more about us at AdamsRoadMinistry.com. Again, that's AdamsRoadMinistry.com. We release a new podcast episode every Saturday. Feel free to join us next week as we examine Acts chapter 7, verses 51 through 60. Grace and peace be with you all.